Masechet Yuma Perek Ched. Mishnah Gimel. And my point over here was to show how Rabbi Salavechik actually interprets this Mishnah. And again, as pointed out last week, <laughs> I know that if we start, he'll come. Okay. And my point was to show how incredibly creative, how incredibly incisive and analytical is Rabbi Salavechik's interpretation of this particular Mishnah. It's hard to imagine anybody else thinking of what exactly he had thought, what he had actually said. And this is characteristic of him. We're in is a three-step process. The three-step process is, number one, you read the Mishnah very carefully. You read it line by line. You have a certain kind of a mindset, and therefore you come and you analyze it in a, in a very precise, profound way. And out of this Mishnah emerges a new idea, idea that nobody ever thought of actually before. Welcome. An idea that nobody ever thought of before. <coughs> and then that is something that will inspire a person through the process of self-discovery. When you read this, you end up saying, I can't believe what I just heard. And you say, it's so sharp, so analytical, so clear, so pure, so precise, that you are carried away by the power of the idea. That's what I was trying to explain yesterday, how the process of tissue by itself is not simply only one where you just simply read HaKot HaRambam. That's not enough. That's almost routinized and me- mechanistic. That's not going to bring Teshuvah by reading and studying Hachot Teshuvah of the Rambam. No, one has to engage in the creative process of thought, of interacting with the text, and that's what brings about the process of Teshuvah. So we explained that yesterday. What do we find in this Mishnah over here? It's a very powerful Mishnah, and of course as we read it, it talks about a person who said, number one, that I shall transgress into Teshuvah, then, of course, Shaman is not allowed to Teshuvah. You cannot play that game, number one. Or you may say, I'm going to transgress and Yom Kippur is going to atone. Yom Kippur will not atone for that person. For that person. Point number three. person who has transgressed between himself and a God, then indeed Yom Kippur shall atone. No problem. Transgressions between a person and his friend, no, Yom Kippur will not atone for those sins until you go and ask for certain kind of forgiveness from your friend. All this is second nature. We know all this. Now, Rabbi Azar ben Azariah wants to explain the following. He has a pasuk. From all of your transgressions before Hashem, you shall become purified. Here he makes the following point. What does this pasuk really mean? Transgressions? You don't have enough... Um, okay. Here, don't Rabbi wants to wants to state the case that the Pasuk itself refers to this point. From all of your sins in front of Hashem, you shall become pure. He understands. Transgression. The day of Yom Kippur will atone. However, Now, that seems to agree with Tanakhama. Is that the Peshat of the Pasuk? You may ask the question. Is Rabbi Azariah telling me the Peshat of the Pasuk? You would probably say no. Why no? Where do you find this distinction between sins, between man and man, man and God? What does the Pasuk say? From all of your transgressions, from Hashem you shall become pure. So there is no distinction made in the Pasuk itself. 
Now, so the Peshat of the Pasuk indicates that all transgressions shall become forgiven or purified. Correct? Isn't there a matter of physiology? Okay, well, we'll come to that. Right, we'll come to that in a few minutes. Right, that's the Maharashtra which talks about that particular issue. But, Right, it's a karma almost. Yeah. So that, that sort of supports what I'm saying right now. Right. So correct, good. Now, the Biakiva does not accept. Now, we had a major discussion last week as to whether or not the Biakiva is actually disagreeing with the statement that precedes him, or is he simply adding to it? My position was, though I could not prove it, is that Rabbi Akiva is actually disagreeing with Rabbi Azab and Azariah, and Rabbi Akiva is saying there's no distinction between any of these transgressions. To the contrary, what is he really saying over here? Saying that all sins, all sins, Yom Kippur shall atone for. Ashrechem Yisrael atnei Praise are you Israel, before whom are you to become purified? Who purifies you? your father So he's saying, since we saying, there's no restriction to any transgressions. Meaning, all transgressions are forgivable. I don't need you to forgive me, but Allah will forgive me. Every transgression against the human being is also a transgression against Hashem, and therefore the ultimate mitahir is Ure Olam. So therefore, it's almost inappropriate to go to another person to ask forgiveness. Let's say I wronged you. Who am I really wronging? Ure Olam. I'm wronging Hashem. Let's say I stole from a widow. From a widow. No. No, 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 no. 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 We are all out there Hashem. Let's say I stole from an Ayyavid. Right? If I stole from the Ayyavid, now an Ayyavid has nothing of his own. He's carrying, let's say you gave your Ayyavid, well your friend, your, your Ayyavid let's say, you gave him $10 to go buy a loaf of bread. I met him and I stole the $10. From whom did I really steal? The Adon. <coughs> I stole from the Adon. So from whom do I have to ask forgiveness? From the Adon. From the Adon. The Ayyavid is, is uh, really a go-between, he's a messenger. So my point of view would be, so too, if I transgress against you, according to Rabbi Akira... But you know, you know, you know your analogy is not really good. No analogy is really good. It's oh, all <laughs> because, no, when you, when, you, when, you, when you hurt another person... It depends on how you view the status of the other person. You, either, you view that person as an independent personality, or one that is only Ayyavid Hashem. Wait, let's say you mazik a person big before. You want to also use the analogy and say, well... No, 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 because... Um, I'm talking about things that are more profound, things that are more spiritual, things that are, that, are, that are on a different level than financial compensation. We know, of course, that Torah will compensate a person who was damaged. If I stole from you, i got to pay you back. That's all true. But in a more profound sense as to do I ask forgiveness from you or from he who created you. So apparently, Rabbi Akiva seems to be saying over here, and I don't want to belay the books, so I want to go to Rabbi Salavechik, is that Rabbi Akiva seems to be saying over here that the ultimate purifier is Borei Olam. He's talking about, again, in a cosmic sense. The ultimate forgiveness and ultimate redemption comes from Borei Olam, not from you. Because I have transgressed against your creator, your master. Now, 
So one interesting side letter over here, which again I will not belabor, is is Rabbi Akiva disagreeing or adding to? David's position was that he is adding to, and my position was that I couldn't prove that I thought Rabbi Akiva is disagreeing with. And David brought to my attention, which I didn't see, the Marashah, who was one of the great commentaries of the 17th century, 1600s, on the Talmud, and one does not uh, usually deviate without the Marashah. He is a, a man of great, great ability, sorry? Well, yeah, one of the great Gedolim. <coughs> and he pointed out, we won't go through it right now, but he pointed out that indeed there is a Machloket over here. And that Rabbi Akiva is disagreeing with Rabbi Azabarazariah, and therefore Rabbi Akiva's position is one of absoluteness. Again, what is Rabbi Akiva teaching me over here? Rabbi Akiva is teaching me, Ashrechem Israel, great are Israel, praised are Israel, before whom will you ultimately become pure? Who's the ultimate purifier? Who's going to forgive you ultimately? Your Father in Heaven. That I shall sprinkle upon you purifying waters and you shall become pure. And what we have from from Yirmiyahu. I'm sorry, So in the same way that a mikveh purifies you, so to expect to purify you. Before, the latter. Right. It's in the passive sense. It's passive, yes. Now, what I want to focus on over here is Rabbi Salavajic's analysis of this Mishnah. We began it last week. And again, you will not find anybody else in all of Jewish literature who has read this Mishnah so analytically and I believe so clearly and so truthfully. This is his greatness in the way he analyzes certain Jewish texts. Point number one. Het is equatable to Tum'ah. Person becomes tumified. No good English word for that. Polluted is the best that we come to, but it's really not polluted in a physical sense. It's a metaphysical kind of stain on your soul that your soul is now blackened by virtue of your transgression. Therefore, and Teshuvah is what? The process to horrification. What does that mean? Purification. Again, it's a spiritual, metaphysical kind of process. Now, we know that when you deal with issues of tumification, it's not physical, spiritual. When you deal with issues of purification, there's a need for tahorification. How does one become tahor? Two types. One is generally a mikveh. Mikveh is something that you jump into, you take the initiative and you become pure from whatever tumification that you engage in. What's an example of that? Sara'at. person has leprosy, he must go into the mikveh. person has some kind of emission from his body, whatever it may be. Any kind of fluid that comes out of one's body, a, a zav, he needs, he or she needs a certain kind of tumification goes to the mikveh. However, there's another kind of tumification which is called tumat met, and the, the met, the person who's passed away, is called by the Tum'ah, he's the grandfather of all tumification. There it's not enough to simply go into a mikveh, rather you must have another to sprinkle upon the person the waters of Paraduma. Any Tum'ah, met must have a mitahir. It's the pure form. One who's going to purify you. Good. Now, you have two Pesukim quoted in Mishnah. Therefore, there are obviously, Rabbi Sarvajik will say, two types of purification. There's a purification of mikveh and a purification of the Zerati Alechem Maim Teorim. I will sprinkle upon you. Now, 
I challenged you when we first read this to come up with the distinction between these two types, and nobody, of course, could do it. And the reason I say that is because with Robert Soloveitchik, it seems to me that after he explains all this, it seems so obvious, so clear, so passionate, it's like a hot knife going through butter. It's clear, it's there, it's obvious. You will often hear many interpretations of many things which seem to take you in a winding road that you see, you say, oh my God, my, my head was just put through the mill because it's just so in, it's, that's called um, pilpul. The pool is, you take a, a curveball, mix it with a screwball, and you, you run in a kind of zigzagging way. That's pill pool. And you never really, you don't feel good about it. You don't, and this is a key point that I've described once before, is that you don't feel aesthetically pleased. Not only do you don't feel intellectually pleased, if you're a straight-thinking person, what's the answer? What's a straightforward answer? I never heard it from my salvation. Everything, at the end of the experience, says, oh, it's obviously true. I could have thought of that. We didn't, because truth is very simple. And it's very clear, it's very direct. When you try to analyze how to hold up anything, if it all fits, and this is the way the human mind works, if it all fits into the mosaic, every piece, you walk out aesthetically, literally aesthetically pleased. Your mind tells you this is a good feeling. It all works out. It's clear, it's simple, it's passion. When one studies three hours, when we study the Messiah, you can hold one summer, for example, hold the Shabbat, you walk out saying, <sighs> quite literally that you walked out saying this was an aesthetic experience everything fit together perfectly and beautifully and there were times when it did not when he studied a difficult Rambam and he would sit for hours quite literally for hours trying to understand that Rambam it didn't fit in it's supposed to fit in it's not fitting in he has to then he changed his whole entire scenario trying to get that Rambam to fit in to the way the Halakha has been developed why is the Rambam not correct? And he would sit to take all his questions and go, what is the Rambam? What is that? And then he asked, what do you think? And he had to be pretty foolish to say what you thought, because if he couldn't figure it out, you, that, well, that was my state of thinking anyway. When he said, what do you think? I, I wasn't there. I wasn't, I backed up. Because if he was, and it was, I, it was, sometimes what happened was, after two and a half hours of not understanding the Rambam, we would pray him in heart, and then he would say, wait, wait, I, I got it. And he'd make you all sit down, you were exhausted after two and a half hours, and he did figure it out. Something clicked in his tiffy lap. I don't know how much Kavanah he had, probably not very much, but he went over the whole entire scenario, and the Rambam clicked. The Rambam, he found that missing link, that, that was that third variable that was able to explain why the Rambam fits over here, not over here. And the whole scenario was perfect. It happened very frequently. And it was one of the great experiences of life for me <coughs> to be part to that. Now again, you will find over here a very simple thing. If you read this properly, if you read this clearly, if you thought about it, if you analyze it, you'll see this is very clear, obvious, simple. It's not convoluted logic. Very, very simple. And truth is very, very simple. If, once it's explained and exposed, once it's, it's revealed. The pasuk that I always think is the pasuk of Te'ilim, Gal from Yom Shishi, Gal Enai, V'Abitvotoradecha. Open my eyes, reveal to my eyes, and I see it's clear. When you read The Lonely Man of Faith and you analyze, you say, yes, this is an obvious point. Two chapters of Bereshit, there were two different parts of a human being, aspects of a human being, and we explained all that. You say, yeah, it's obvious. Once you read it, when you understand it five times, whatever it takes to read it, you say, yeah, fantastic story, incredible story. And you come to the point saying, that's the pshat. That's really what the Torah meant by that. That is what the Torah meant. Yet, for 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years, nobody ever said what he said. That's a, a striking statement. And what I'm saying to you now is not, I'm making it stop, not exaggerating. This is straightforward. So to over here in a halacha context. 
we had discussed that's his Pasha but here in the Halacha context here you have a Mishnah here will be an Akiva the Akiva here says to us I shall speak upon you purifying waters. You shall become pure. So you had to ask yourself the question if you're studying this text properly, why did he quote another Pasuk? What was in Abiyakiva's mind? And I am claiming to you that Rabbi Sabachik discovered what was in Abiyakiva's mind because Abiyakiva did not tell us what's in his mind. As is often the case when you learn. Why did you quote another Pasuk? Abekiva is not randomly quoting Pasuk because he wants to impress you. Had he done so, you would not be a great intellect. You will hear again many people quoting, V'chein Katu, V'chein Katu, V'chein Katu. Well, what'd you add? Why did you quote me? You trying to show off that you know an extra two sources? But a great mind will not quote unless something that's additional over here. We assume, and nobody will doubt this, that Rabbi Akiva is a great mind. And if he's a great mind, then there's some reason why he said this over here. Does he tell me? No. Now, Rabbi Salavetic approaches... Did you discuss the difference between That is a significant variable that we didn't come to yet. We didn't come to yet. There's a very significant variable. And he extensively speaks about that in Al Teshuvah. A very two, the two very different no, formulations. Saying, but because because the is only talking about kapara in his in his statement here and and the, and the prior statement of the Mishnah is only dealing with the of kapara. Um, the straight kapara. All of a sudden, Biakiva comes in and throws in the whole idea of kapara. Right. So they're talking two about different two different areas. Well, deals with that issue in a different shiur. He talks about that distinction in our teshuvah. Okay, so we won't get right now. But no, so could you avoid that distinction in analyzing this text? Could yeah, he does at this point. Because now I don't see how you could avoid it. Right now, he's, well, right now he's concerned about Rabbi Akiva and what he is presenting to us. What is Rabbi Akiva's position? That would be another part two of this whole entire discussion. What is between kapara, atonement, and purification? And there's a very significant difference between those two terms. Right, so we will, perhaps next week we'll get to that. But let me just finish over here what Rabbi Akiva is really saying. Because first you want to begin with each individual unit, then you want to cross-reference and see how they differ from each other. What is Rabbi Akiva saying? So Rabbi Akiva, in using two pesukim, must obviously have two kinds of purification in mind. One is mikveh, as mentioned. One is zarati. One is involving with self-initiative. And one is where you need a metaher, somebody to purify you. Yes? Yes. If there are two kinds of purification and two kinds of tumification, there must be, if there's two types of purification, there must be two types of transgression. Right? Makes sense that one needs. Let's see. What's the difference between both of these two types of purification and what's the difference between these two types of teshuvah? We're talking about teshuvah over here, obviously. A. Mikveh is personal initiative of the person who has transgressed. Only the person who's become tumified can do so. If I decide to not jump into the mikveh, then no, nothing can help me. It's personal initiative. If I don't want to do it, can anybody purify me? Let's say, for example, that a person has tum'at sarat, and he goes to the ground and tells him, purify me. Can he do so? Yeah. Sure. No. Well, if he sprinkles hand. upon me, my teorim, yeah. will I become pure? 
No, you must go to the mikveh. Oh, you go to the mikveh also, yeah. That also, that's all I need. Oh, I need the mikveh, I need arba'im se'ah of water. Zarat, so maim, zarat karekeh, maim, teorim will not help me. It has to be yoreh v'tovel v'oleh tahor. He goes down. The Kohen in, in, in Sarat also has to declare that he... Yeah, all that's a preliminary role that he plays, correct. But ultimately, the final act of purification comes because I take the initiative and I jump into the mikveh. Without the mikveh, I do not achieve purification, whatever the Kohen does, right? Therefore, the... The person who is involved over here must take the initiative. Now, what happens in the second kind of purification? Azaah. Let's say I'm a Tamemet. Came in contact with death. Right? What purifies me? Hazaah. The sprinkling of the Kohen on me makes me Tahor. Right? Can I do it myself? No. No. I jump into five Mikveot of, of 2,000 Seot. Does not make a difference. You need a Metahir. Right? This is the whole section of of Paraduma, the Midbar Perik Tet Pasukutek, the Zah Mitahir. If I do it myself, I self sprinkle. Is it gonna do anything for me? I take the same I say I'm a Kohen. I take the words I sprinkle. Does it do it? No, you need a metahir. It's somebody to bring you bring you out of the state of tumification. We must say that small if it does itself, it's irrelevant. You did nothing. So now, I have two types of purification processes. Mikveh, which is self-purification, which brings about liberation from sin. And then I have Hazah, which needs somebody else. Right? So now we're saying that there's two types of Teshuvah. This is his analysis. He sees two Pesukim. He builds upon this notion saying that there's two types of Teshuvah, two types of purification, because there's two types of Mikveh. Yes, we see the, we see the, the progression. And there's two types of transgressions, all flowing along. From this little Mishnah, two, three lines, you have an entire world that he's building over here. Cassie, is there a different emphasis in the tefillahs involved with each one? Like, I assume there's a tefillah involved with one of the mikveh and a tefillah involved with mine. Tefillah? Right, right, you know, involved with mine for Gora. And I was just wondering, is there, like, a different emphasis or a different, is that reflected on the tefillahs? Not not specifically in that, no. Really, it's not tefillah. That's part of the Torah process of purification. That came later. So from the Torah's point of view, it's simply an issue of you go into oh, right. the mikveh. It was like the carbon we didn't, it wasn't right. anything Correct. associated Right, correct. Right, at that point, yeah. Correct. Now, there is a teshuvah that one must do by oneself, self-initiative, which is parallel to the mikveh. Right, mikveh Yisrael, so the mikveh type of teshuvah. And there's another kind of teshuvah that when you need somebody else to help you. Think along the lines of what transgression relates to each of these. In the Teshuvah, when you do yourself, Hashem HaKeh Bishvilo. God is waiting for you to do Teshuvah. You transgressed. If He sprinkled you, would it do anything? No. You must do it yourself. These are words from the Tefillah of Kippur. He expects, He's waiting for the evil person and wants Him to do it by Himself. But he, Hashem cannot help you in that particular point. Hashem loves you. Hashem does not help you. Hashem opens the door and wants you to come in to, to do self-purification. In the process of Teshuvah regarding Hazaah, in that case, Hashem helps you. Pasuk says, You give the hand and you do it for them. You 
Start waiting. He goes, Hashem goes and takes, seeks him out. Good, good work. Hashem is the teacher. Hashem is the purifier. Hashem ozer biglash ha-hotel lo-edea ma-la-haswa. What's the Messiah saying now? Hashem is doing this because the sinner does not know how to change. Think again, what transgression is it that I need help in becoming purified on doing Teshuvah? There's divine initiative involvement. You have a mitaher. Now, point number one. Rabbi Sarech makes the distinction that Teshuvah all the year, Hashem is waiting for you to do it. He's the Mikveh Yisrael. You have to go into the Mikveh, take initiative, that's what you have to do. Kippur, Hashem Right? Hashem is going to help you. Now, how do we phrase that? <coughs> the day itself purifies. Right? You know, it's a famous Gemara. At the day itself, the day itself atones for you. And according to one opinion, you, you, you did the Shavat. Good. You did the Shavat also. What does that mean? Before Shem, you will become pure. Right? You will become pure. Similarly, what Salvechik will tell us, that there are two types of Haftarot. Two types of Haftarot. One Haftarot is, Dirushu Hashem Right? Dirushu Hashem B'Yimatz'oh. Seek out Hashem when He is there. That's the... No, that's... No, that's Haftarot of every other fasting. That, that we say at uh, Shabbat, for example. We say at Shabbat. Other fast days, right? The Hosea Mitchuva has to seek out Hashem. Go into the midbar, personal initiative. You want purification, you must do the act. However, in Yom Kippur, what do we have? Solu Solu Derech. What does that mean? Smooth and out the path. Hashem is coming. It's all being done for you. The pathway is going to be smooth for you, right? So, what one has over here is this two types of Haftarot, two types of Teshuva. He takes a step further. And he speaks about two types of transgressions that Rabbi Akiva is actually speaking about over here. What two types of transgressions are there? You may stumble, you may fall based on an obstacle that was placed in front of you. You had an evil inclination, use that term. You liked that gold bracelet, nobody was looking, you lifted it up. You transgressed through a personal act of initiative, in order to purify that act, it's external to you, you had to go ahead and do teshuvah through personal initiative. He uses a medical analogy. No. No, you stole it, you must return to twice. Person over here stumbles and falls, he goes to the doctor, and the, the problem was external to you. You stumbled, you fall, you fall, you broke your leg, you must fix that, and you remove the stumbling block, and you have no problems any longer. Right? You're healed. Personal initiative. However, he says that there's another kind of transgression that one might fall to, which stems not from an external kind of desire, I like the ham and eggs, I ate ham and eggs, but rather it's internal to the very person wherein he no longer knows the difference between right and wrong. His whole hashkafat olam, his whole world outlook has become perverse. Now, in that situation, he doesn't know this between right and wrong any longer. How is he going to become pure? 
When you think of, right, you cannot, because you have no reference point any longer between your transgression and what you do is good and what you do is not good. You were raised, let's say, in an atheistic society. How is that person going to become tahor, pure? He doesn't know better. He was raised in, God forbid, Nazi Germany or any other kind of value society where the values are so perverse that you don't know, you're confused. You need a smooth path. You need solo, solo data. You need somebody to clarify. You need somebody to smoothen the path for you. And now Salvation says, is Zerati Alechem, where Borei Olam will come ahead and show you the derech. He will sprinkle you with Mayim Tehorim. No. Rabbi Akiva is saying over here that in that situation, you don't have to do anything. You can't do Teshuvah on your own. You have to be passive in that case. Why? Because you don't know to do Teshuvah on your own. If Teshuvah assumes a knowledge of right and wrong, I had known what was right and what was wrong, or maybe we didn't know. But I am at some point, post facto, aware of that which I did that was a problem. So the feelings I have in, inside of me say, I was wrong, I wanted to what do I do? Go to McVeigh, take a personal initiative, because I knew that I had transgressed. But a person who has never seen the other side of the coin, but never seen, never grown, and never been part of uh, learning, now, let's take an extreme example of, uh, of Nazi Germany. Anybody's Tenoch needs help. And a person needs help, Hashem over here, according to the Mishnah Nabi, here the Mishnah is, Zerati Alechem, Mayim Tzorikim Yechazkeim, I will sprinkle you. I will be the Mitahir. I will bring you out of your transgression without your Teshuvah, because you can't take any kind of personal initiative in a situation wherein you never knew better. You didn't know ham and eggs was not kosher. So what are you, you're unblamed for that? Of course not. Unless you need somebody to bring you, to draw you in. We have, let's say, two million Jews in America now that are beyond hope. So I don't know how many, maybe it's not two million, maybe it's one million. That's number eight. What, you mean your dream is going to bring them back? So what you're saying is too theoretical. So how it's going to bring them back is that there are two, there are two issues that are involved over here. One is the theoretical or say the spiritual issue. The spiritual issue is can a soul that has eaten ham and eggs his entire life ever become purified? If he learns. No, that if we know. Learns. That's the Mahasaya Mitzvah that has to happen. So there has to be a spot. There has to be uh, something do something to happen. So a person should practically say on a practical level. Yeah. Somebody has to to show them something. That person that's true. But that's true. But it's also what he's saying is that there is divine aid in doing that. Bore Olam will help that person. It's not the first where you take the initiative, but Bore Olam may, in that situation, or will in that situation, try to expose you, to purify you. You know, you are not spiritually tainted. Your soul is not blackened by what happened. Rather, Zarat al-Khiman Turim is that on Yom Kippur, Borei Olam is sprinkling all Jewish people. Rabbi, do they say that, what's the first, do they tell us what the first step is? Should the first step be that a person realizes there's a higher mandraka and a holier way of being? Or is that he has to look himself and say, this is wrong? You know what I mean? Like, you might... That's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. Because I mean, it's possible he might not think that what he's doing is wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some might say there's a higher lifestyle, a higher, there's, 
you're living this way and you know. Then do they're talking about No, but no, not telling anybody anything. Right. The question over here is that Borea Olam, Hashem in the second category. But from here, from this perspective, what does the Rakti Alechemantori mean? Divine aid, divine initiative. Borea Olam will do that purification process to purify one who has transgressed from this internal problem. Never knowing, perhaps one could say. Now, using the terms never knowing is my imposition on this, on his discussion on this issue. But in his discussion on this, Teshuvah Dirasha, he's saying that there are people out there who, who, who have an internal problem. And they must have a mitahed, they must have a physician. Person who stumbles over a stumbling block and, and breaks his leg, okay, he has to fix his leg, that's true, but you, uh, uh, the person himself, can take away the stumbling block and they won't have the problem any longer. Correct? So that's not an issue. But an internal hashkafat olam, a person whose worldview is perverse, he'll never know the difference between right and wrong. So in that case, Gordia Olam promises, is that he will purify. He, he will give the poshaya the hand and drag him in. Now it's true that once the hand is extended, whatever I will turn the hand, he has to hold it and be pulled. That's true. But Borei Olam will pull. You may resist, and you may not grab the hand either. But the, his point is over here, that from this Mishnah we learn that there are two types of transgressions. There are two types of Teshuvah. There are two types of purification process. One, Mikveh, we took the initiative, where you knew that it was wrong and you want to change what you did that was wrong. And that Hashem is waiting for you to do. Right? He's waiting for you. You do it, you do it, fine, you don't do it, you don't do it. Second type, where you were born into a situation where you don't know better right from wrong, then he, he will give you a hand. He will take the initiative. He will not wait for you to jump into the mikveh, because you'll never do it. Rather, he will purify you. He will give you the hand to pull you out of the, the mud of transgression. How will I know about the ham and egg? Sorry? I, I've been eating ham and eggs all year. Now well, that's his year, question. All your life, so that's his question. So Borei Olam will give you the hand to draw you out. He will shut you the light. You do nothing. You remain passive in that situation. There's no need to take personal initiative. It's not your fault. What will happen over here? He will pull you out. You get a mailing. You get a mailing from Mubavitch. <laughs> and it says, come, come and we'll... Or, 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 or a outreach program, which or, I prefer. Right, turn, it says, turn Friday night to Shabbos. So what are you talking? And this is this has happened. Turned by the Shabbos, there have been tens of thousands of Jews, quite literally, who have turned Friday night to Shabbos. I know many of them. Look at square synagogues built on these people. It's an incredible story. His getting minyan started with nobody. Now it has hundreds and if not thousands of people who've gone through that process. Who get a mail and say, "What do you turn Friday night to Shabbos?" It was his idea. It's a catchy phrase. What do you mean by that? Instead of having a Friday night going to the movies, let's see if it can become a Shabbos, quote unquote. That's what he says. And people have come through, I mean, people, famous people, actors, people, I mean, who, who are well known, who have become inspired by that one little phrase. So here's the hand. You could either take that mailing and throw it in the garbage, or you could look at it and say, what is he talking about? I mean, is it, I mean, what, you know, maybe there's something to this. Maybe something, or it could be any kind of experience that you have. Let's say you had, the, you know, the famous uh, experiences could be seeing the grandeur of God in the middle of the desert or the middle of the ocean. It could be missing a plane, that plane uh, skimming on the water and, and not making it to just It could be anything. You say, wait, there's something beyond. Now that's, you, Hashem, are purifying that person. 
Something could happen. It could be a child who brings one back to the right path. So much of this has actually happened. And interestingly enough, this whole didasha was given prior to the very famous Baal Teshuvah movement. To whatever extent that there is that. There is a significant number of people, that number in the tens of thousands, that have felt this divine pull. That's the way people will describe it. That they, something, they're exposed to something different. Could be electrically famous Sanford Bernstein. What brought Sanford Bernstein, who, who had ham and eggs his whole entire life, brought him back? Sanford Bernstein, you know the broker Sanford Bernstein, right? He's a multi-millionaire person. Right. He's done the majority of his but we haven't yet begun the whole entire process. Majority of Jews, not, not yeah, we know. Forty percent, of course, many of us are fifty percent, sixty percent. Right, correct. But we don't even know the highway. We don't even know how to get to one hundred five. How we to deduce those people who did not come back into the fold, so to speak, right? The hand of God was not extended to them. No, not necessarily. They weren't in the room. They may not have no, been there. Oh, they were there? Maybe they were there. They were there. They were paying attention to what was on TV. They didn't see the hand right they there in the middle right. of the living right. room. Right. Right. Their eyes were on the television phrase. Right. An interesting phrase. Maybe this says it well. It was, uh, I forget who, who first said this. Heaven crashed with earth. The whole world aflame. But only he who sees removes his shoes. Of course, playing on Moshe Rabbeinu and this neighbor Evaish. What is it saying? On a daily basis, the heaven crashed with earth. There was divine spirituality all over the place. The whole world aflame. But it's true. Who's going to remove the shoes? Only he who senses the divine presence. All of us might have seen this in Ebu'ayr Would all of us have removed our shoes? No, some of us would have gone another one of those little tricks that Hollywood produces. Or may have walked, whatever it may be. You are always free to interpret your life and as it confronts with what happens, in one way or another, that's all true. But there's a kind of ten yalaposhim, the hand is extended. Whether or not you grab onto the hand, we don't know. You may choose to ignore that divine call. But every single day. You may choose to ignore it. But that's now, why you need that's why you need all types of that's a good point, yeah. Jewish organization outreach. You need Lubavitch to appeal to a mentality because when Lubavitch puts out their hand, that person recognizes the hand. But somebody who was on the Upper East Side, living on the Upper East Side, and making $250,000 a year working for Morgan Stanley uh, in, in sophisticated arbitrage, he's not going to stop on the street to reach out to Lubavitch's hand. But then right. again, he might get something from uh, Lincoln Square Synagogue. No, no, I'll go beyond that. I'll go beyond that. We had a lecture last week, Dr. Sarna. Dr. Sarna. He's one of the world famous uh, biblical scholars. Literally, what he's written the books on, the teaching, etc. And um, he's, I had him 20 years ago at Brandeis as part of a PhD program. It was incredible things that I had learned from him. Really incredible things that um, opened my eyes to Tanakh. What Tanakh really does try to do the whole nine yards. He's saying that he gave this discussion on Tehillim in Washington about two years ago. And he's, he's only a biblical scholar. He's not an outreach person. He's a PhD professor in Tanakh. He studied his whole entire life in every phrase, every word, every context, every Ugaritic source, every Canaanite source, every Babylonian source. That's what a scholar does. Right? That's what he does. He's not there for outreach. He was invited by some of the Washington think tank to, to explain some biblical book. He chose to him, however the dynamics were. Get people coming to him. 
afterwards, <clears throat> people in government, people in the business world, people lawyers, say, I never knew this is our resources. It's impossible. I never knew that this Tehillim speaks to me. Now, you all know Tehillim. Would you agree with the statement that the book of Tehillim can speak to the most secular, alienated Jew? Why is that? I'll, I'll accept that morning class. Uh, we've we've seen that. Okay, exactly. Now, Rabbi Tao, who gives that Shabbat morning class, does it with reference to Dr. Sarna? That's only a Tershar or, or a Shilishi, Hametahir. Imagine if Dr. Sarna, who's the master of this, who's the master of all this, and I would say, Rabbi Sarna, even the master of all this, with a person speaking. Pass on that subject. There's a person called. Yitzchak Greenberg, Rabbi Greenberg, Dr. Greenberg. He's a PhD from Harvard, brilliant, brilliant man. One of the, one of the two or three people that I studied with who I consider to be brilliant, creative, intellectual. He's done this all over America. Specifically, he has a semicha from a Musari Shivan Borough Park and was very much involved in Musari types of issues. He taught us about issues of ethical thought and like that, but Rabbi Salaf and others. But he goes to people who are, the, who are from conservative, these, these people, to the conservative, to the reform, and less Jews. His organization, organization is called Kalal, which means all Jews together. He's an outreach, but he's not Lubavitch. And what he's doing over here is appealing to that exact person. That exact person makes 200,000 miles a year, and so does, as he does Eli Wiesel and others, a part of this organization, specifically to the reform conservative and less than that Jews. Now, I would support that. Because those are Jews too that I want to bring back. I know he's an Orthodox man, and he will. He has a, his book on the holidays, is, I think, is brilliant. It's a fantastic book, creative, intellectual, analytical, and all that. He studied Rabbi Sabachik as well. And he is reaching out his hand, but not as Labavitch would, which is not very sophisticated, and the audience does not convince anybody that has any kind of higher education, and the Balat Shuvah is not for a sophisticated person. Greenberg is for a PhD kind of a person. And even the Good Square Synagogue is not what I would call sophisticated. It's kind of in between. The point is well taken. You need all these groups that reach all different aspects. And its organization started 10 years ago, has brought in millions of dollars for these efforts because it utilizes sophisticated, not arguments, but an approach. He will analyze a Torah text in a way that nobody else will. And so with that son, and the people that work for him are all PhDs from Yale, from Harvard, from Dr. Sarna, these types of people who will present Torah Judaism in a <coughs> different format. Now, again, Tehillim is a very good example of that because Tehillim is really universal. It deals with the deepest emotions a person has. And he will explain this, not trying to influence you. This is interesting because what I had learned from this PhD, this purely academic PhD, it's all academics. You're studying 15 different languages. You're Goritic, Akkadian, Arabic, Greek, to study the Bible, or Arabic, whatever it is. It's purely academic. It's not intended for you to become an outreach person at all. But what I had gotten out of this purely academic PhD is that the greatest outreach that you have is is the substance of it. When you study Tanakh properly, without any schmaltz, without any threats, without if you, if you have, uh, if you're ill, God forbid, you go into the fair 12 times, that's going make you better. Oh, this guy's not. You study this, just the Torah, what it meant. It's dealing with the deepest emotions, with the highest noble aspirations and ideals of a human being. That's what you get from, from PhD work. Now when I teach, when I'm teaching in my Hillel class, I'm purely academic, but I'm extremely convincing to be a good Jew. Not because I'm convincing, but why? Because it's what I'm convincing. 
if you study Yirmiyahu, for example, academically, I studied Yirmiyahu with Dr. Sana. We had non-Jews in the class, we had blacks in the class, we had greens in the class, we had yellows, we had, it's an academic institution. And of course, he spoke in English. It was amazing how people were attracted to the pure academics of Torah study. We, Orthodox Jews, undersell our product. That's what I think is amazing about what we do. A pure academic approach. People will study Yirmiyahu, they'll use Rashi, Radak, and they'll, they'll be so concerned about studying all the Farashim, they'll miss the man himself. Yirmiyahu himself is powerful, overwhelming. And what, people, what does he do? Transgression, Teshuvah, all that. When you, plot, when you approach it purely academically, I mean that very literally, it's an incredible tug on the human heart and mind. Aren't you saying, in effect, that they take only the Peshat, even of the, uh, the deeper study, the Talmud, and just study the, the Peshat of that? Yes, that, that I'm saying is that the Peshat itself, the Torah itself, the Mi'an itself, is that sometimes this happens also in Hillel High School, and it, it's it, in all schools, and it, it's painful. I mean, I feel physical pain that a teacher may go take a pastor, whatever it is, and overburden the student by 12 Pirushim, Hirsch, and, uh, and this one, and that one, and all of it. The kid walks out, he memorizes all 12, and gets a 93. But he missed the point! I was teaching the advanced class at Stern. Advanced class at Stern about 10 years ago. A teacher's meeting, discussing what each one is teaching. So this one is saying, I teach all Eben Ezer, I teach them bonds. I teach, what do you teach? Pshat. You all teach Pshat? That's what I do. They all laughed at me. Because Ashkenazic mentality, you have to pile on commentaries. Because, yeah, it's just a Pshat. And that's more difficult than reading Rashid of Ezer Anban. What's the Pshat of the Torah? Obviously, you deal with the divine mind. What is Hashem really saying over here? How do you extrapolate what the Torah is? But when you see the Peshat, when you're saying the broader context, when you analyze all that the Torah is doing, without any commentaries, I very rarely deal with the context, as Rabbi Salvation. All the shows that I just, that we just discussed, that I mentioned one commentary, not even one. And you mentioned the Maharsha, so what you hope for. Thank you for bringing it in. So you're putting aside the Talmud? No! The last two thousand, they're not, no. not on the same level. And they're not what on the same level? It's not on the same level as, uh, as the Torah? Yeah. Well, but, I mean, we know that. It's certainly it's very different. Stuff. It's certainly very different. It's very different, number one. It's a different genre. In other words, don't take the argument over the, the shot. 